Welcome to Catapult Future Fest Conversations, powered by the voices of the Catapult community who are mobilizing capital, technology, people, and heart to solve the world's biggest challenges. Think of this podcast as a chance to sit by the fire and learn from a few of the amazing minds who joined us in Oslo for the Future Fest fifth anniversary gathering in 2022. I'm your host, Kate Byrne, co-founder and chief impact officer of Pup Venture. More and more, women are taking advantage of opportunities opening up in a myriad of fields such as crypto, data, aerospace, climate tech, fintech, and more. These require the collaborative, co-creative attributes coupled with plain old smarts that women embody. The gifted cultural cartologist Lynn Casey, founder of Shine Scout, and myself enjoy learning from Julia Zhao of Tidal Impact, Fatima Hamdani, F.H. Aerospace, and Susie Allegre, author. Lynn Casey is the founder of Shine Scout, an amazing futurist and trend seer. Mm. She and I are in the process of getting ready to launch a really exciting initiative called Wink. And I'll let Lynn talk a little bit about that briefly before we get into who we're about to speak with. Um. <coughs> So where we're coming from is, I would say about a decade ago, we started to sense a trend uh, called women rising. Um, the feminine was emerging as a force in how business needed to happen, from collaboration, compassion, and connection, um, sort of bringing forward the feminine skills, um, because the masculine ones had only gotten us so far. Then, I don't know, we had a pandemic. Things stopped for a brief moment uh, in terms of this sort of work, and we're seeing it again. So when we talk about the rise of the feminine, what we're talking about really is tapping into our softer skills to bring about connection, to bring about conversation, to bring about community. So we're working with women in leadership around the world to have these conversations, to figure out how we can collaborate and build what's next. Um, and to move forward, which is what I think we're all trying to do. So we've gathered these three incredible female leaders um, to join in that conversation. One thing I wanted to add is <clears throat> something that Lynn just said, right? So it's tapping into here and it's, our, and it's feminine principles, but that's not to say men have feminine principles too, yeah. just like we have masculine principles. Mm -hmm. So really what it is is to activate uh, and get a better balance between both sides, right? because then we'll really be able to yeah. move forward, I think. So um, without further ado, what we wanted to do, because each of these women brings, they've all been fabulous speakers. And what I'd love you to do really quickly, we also wanted a multi-generational. And frankly, the conversation doesn't happen enough. And that's something that Susie and I were talking about across industries, mm -hmm. right? There's always, it's all so siloed. Yeah. So. Julia, why don't you do brief intro, and then Susie, and then Fatima, and then we'll jump in. Happy to. Thank you for having me here. So my name is Julia. Um, I was born and raised in Germany uh, with family that originally is coming from China. I'm a co-founder of Tidal Impact, which is an impact management and investment company with a mission to catalyze other companies that have a social and or environmental purpose. Um, we, uh, the other thing that I'm doing is I'm on the 
board of a global entrepreneurship community called Sigma Squared Society, which used to be Kairos, which may ring a bell with some people. And it's all about uniting and empowering and bringing together the most ambitious young founders in their early 20s to help them build more impactful businesses, help them meet the right investors and um, just become better founders. And we're in over 25 countries right now with almost 1,000 members. So it's wow. yeah, very exciting. Thanks, Susie. Yeah, I'm Susie. I'm an international human rights lawyer. I've spent the last 25 years working on lots of different human rights issues from human rights and counterterrorism to dealing with corruption and governance in East Africa uh, through the impact of Brexit. And, and the last five years or so, my big focus has been on human rights and technology, particularly mm. around the right to freedom of thought. And my other big project is around human rights and small islands. So I'm British, but I'm originally from a small island, the Isle of Man. And I have mm. a kind of great belief in the potential for small places to yes. make big, big changes. Yes. We're going to get into that yep. a little bit too. That's, <laughs> that's another little <laughs> passion. Good one. Local X, so get ready for that. Fatima. Um, I'm one of the co-founders and CEO of Kraus Hamdani Aerospace, unmanned aerial platforms, large fixed wing UAVs. Um, before that, I was in fintech and digital transformation and mobile first. So I think all my career, I've been in fairly male-dominated industries where I've walked into boardrooms, which are 25 male. And what's interesting is, and I'll hand it back to you, is um, when we start talking or when I've started talking, um, usually they will have this differentiated male-female. And then what happens is a change happens when it you realize there's collaboration. When you realize that we can all impact each other's career, suddenly you dissolve from being a woman to a partner. Yes. And that actually also comes with the ability to truly be empathetic and listen. And so that actually allows openness from both ends to happen. So yeah, now in aerospace and defense. <laughs> so yeah, it's been a fun um, journey so far. So I'm really curious, um, where do you all see, and Susie, I'm going to start with you on this one, where do you all see the greatest opportunities for women in terms of um, burgeoning industries? I think women bring a new perspective. So, I mean, as I was talking earlier about innovation and sort of changing the direction of innovation, you know, when somebody comes out with a great idea, um, you know, if, if you're a man, particularly if you're a white man, you'll have a particular perspective of how this is going to play out and what this is going to mean for the world. You know, as a woman, you're going to have a very different perspective mm -hmm. about what this might mean and how, you know, any risks can be mitigated or how any opportunities can really be, you know, grasped. So I think it's bringing that different perspective you know, checking the room, pointing out that, you know, actually we all have very different experiences in life and what these innovations might mean will mean different things for different people. Julia, how does generational difference, um, being younger, right? How has that been an obstacle, been a benefit in terms of, I can see how going into an established industry, people might say, oh, hi, you're young, you don't know anything. Whereas if you were in a, new, a hot new tech, people would say, oh, you're brilliant. And then people who look more like me, they'd say, oh, grandma. So talk a little bit about that. 
Um, I believe that right now is, there's never been a better time to be a woman than right now mm -hmm. in certain countries in the world, to be said. So obviously, yeah. if we look at uh, the Western world, uh, Europe, um, it's, it's a privilege to be a woman right now because I believe that people are waking up to um, the fact that women need to be more in, uh, in powerful positions. They need to be recognized for their ability to build um, companies like tech companies, for example, and mm -hmm. to, you know, work with, um, with technology that usually has been associated with men. And uh, I would say maybe my upbringing was a little bit weird in that way because my dad kind of treated me as a boy <laughs> when I was young so I I was always very bold and never mm -hmm. really was fearful or fearful to be a, a girl or a woman and so even today I don't really feel much of that fear when I walk into a room of maybe all men I'm like well I'm just like you kind of and then sometimes I get reminded that oh you are a woman but I think it a lot also has to do with how we're being empowered and how we feel like I still have the permission to be myself and to kind of be bold and just go into that room and just say, all right, well, even if you don't really want me to be there, like, I'm still here. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not sure if that answers the question, but that's kind of my perspective. So, I have a question. Um, Fatima, I'd, I'd like to ask this one of you. So, there's something I call the compassion curse for female leaders, mm -hmm. um, where female leaders are, are doxxed for not being compassionate enough. So if there's a drive towards profit, there's this perception that women have to be compassionate, they have to do good, they have mm -hmm. to take care. Um, and they're dinged for that on a much higher level. When you look at what happened during the pandemic, for example, um, it was the female leaders that were called out when employees were furloughed, mm -hmm. when people had to be laid off, far more so on a three to one ratio to male leaders. You said something in the last session I loved where you were like, when you bring profit into the equation, things happen a lot faster. Right. How do you deal with that uh, issue of, but no, aren't you supposed to be doing good in the world? So I, I feel um, it should, I'm a triple bottom line company, right? Mm. So people, planet and profit are equally important. And from the beginning of the organization, that was what we had based the organization on. Um, I still remember during COVID, we had a global team, so we'd get on the call, and the first call I said, let's end the call with gratitude. And my engineers were like, yeah, right. Like, no, <laughs> let's end the call with gratitude, right? And like, they started with the sun is very bright today, and it progressed, and within a month, they started anticipating that question. And something very beautiful happened um, last year, very unfortunate situation where my co-founder lost his mom. And we were having our weekly call, and we said, let's go through and go through gratitude. And he broke down in front of the company. That brought our team closer together and the camaraderie that we have, and that results in the top line. Mm -hmm. right? I mean, and so if you look at a lot of the leaders that have been able to access their feminine, and we were talking about Unilever earlier, yep. he was one of the bo boldest. He went across and said, advertisers, if you are working with folks that are not focused on the other uh, purpose or planet, I don't want to give you my advertising dollars. Unilever mm -hmm. saying that. Mm -hmm. And the amount of uh, top line that they saw return on it was amazing. So I think that has to become a part of the conversation and that has to become a differentiator. I have folks joining me from Peter Thiel sponsored companies. Mm. Ooh. And companies that have never seen somebody leave them. I remember one of the guys who just joined me, he said, 
this particular co company has never had an exit interview because they are on up and rising and nobody's ever left them. And he proactively came and joined us we were, because we were purpose-driven. Yep. Right? And so that is where I think there are so many benefits um, and it's not just as, I'm a business owner. Yep. And for me, all three are important. Fantastic. Right? And I'm proud of it. Susie, I'd love to go back to something that you said, and this is um, in reference to local acts. So you mentioned two things that really excited me. Um, you mentioned that white males have a certain universal perception of how things might be, right? And I think women, because women tend to operate in conversation with, um, have an understanding of unique journeys. Um, I think it was Joseph Campbell who said, in order to make things universal, um, you first have to make them personal. So coming from that intensely local standpoint, I think that's a power, right? It, that ability to listen one-on-one -on -one and take action collectively one-on-one. -on -one. Um, is this something that from your upbringing you're trying to bring out into the world? I suppose so. I mean, uh, as I mentioned, you know, coming from the Isle of Man, one of the things which actually I, I never knew growing up, and mm -hmm. I mean, it's a... It's always a balanced question, and your point about it's never been a better time to be a woman. You know, my mother lost her job as a doctor when I was born because she was sitting in the Isle of Man. There was no equality legislation until the 2000s, I think, actually. Yep. So, you know, I recognize that I am in a very different position now. But something that I never knew and which made me feel really proud about where I came from was that actually it was the first place to give women the vote in national elections in 1881. Wow. But strangely, I never knew that when I was growing up. In 1881, it was you know, a decade or so before New Zealand, decades before uh, the United Kingdom. Right. And it happened because a suffragette went and did a summer mm. speaking tour. And within six months, they changed the law. And they were going to bring in universal suffrage, but the British kind of went, oh my gosh, we can't have this. <laughs> just get crazy now. Just calm <laughs> Whoa, down. Nelly. So yeah, calm down. We're just going to do it. You know, wealthy widows can vote. But, <laughs> you know, so, but for me, the, kind of the fact that you could do that, um, and one of the interesting things as well was while that was happening on the Isle of Man, and while Emmeline Pankhurst was campaigning in the UK, you know, with yeah. violence against women, hunger strikes and all of this, her mother lived on the Isle of Man. And had the vote. And you're like, so in a small place, you can go and do a lecture tour and change the world. In a big place, sometimes it's much harder to get through and to, and to make sort of personal resonance and, mm -hmm. and bring people in. So I think yes. starting small and whether that's about, you know, women or, and whether it's about small places, I think there's really opportun opportunities to make huge changes in, in those contexts. Correct, I agree. I'll actually add to that. My co-founder's mother moved to South Africa to help Nelson Mandela oh. when the apartheid was happening. Hmm. And she actually revolutionized the adoption of a black kid. So a white family could not adopt a black kid. And today, one of his brothers is black. And so wow. I think a lot of times what you said, Angela, a lot of us have been successful because we've not actually noticed that there is a difference. Mm. And we've walked in with that confidence that there isn't and then seeing magic happens, right? And, and just that belief sometimes can move mountains. So, yeah. I think that's because we have a unique ability to see need, not numbers. Yes, for sure. Empathy is, I, we were talking earlier, I literally, I, I have I've been a good, I've created sales teams, business development teams, businesses and enterprise businesses because I'm empathetic and mm -hmm. I can see what is needed.
Well, what translates, I think what translates out into the world, and again, I think it's a female superpower, um, and to quote another giant, you know, Malcolm Gladwell said, there's no need for more information. We're swimming in information. What we need is understanding. And I think women are, are very good at distilling that down to a cause, to an emotion, to a reason why. Um, and I'm not saying that we disregard the, the data sheets, right? But we can translate that to a personal narrative or story that enlists and engages others. Is that something that you've experienced in your work? The ability to kind of pull through an intrinsic story? Um, yes. Maybe can you phrase the question um, just a little more specific mm -hmm. so that I can So taking your, your business yeah. reason why, taking mm -hmm. your um, profit and your balance sheets and all those sort of things that you mm -hmm. do, to bring it through to a clean mission statement, mm -hmm. to bring it to a reason like how do you enlist other people to want to join yeah. your yeah. cause? Yeah, I think um, uh, interestingly, so our company, well, we're obviously investment company, yep. management company, um, but we have a lot of, I'd say, female values and female energy embedded in the company. And um, I have one male co-founder and one female co-founder. And the funny thing is that my male co-founder has probably the most female energy out of all of <laughs> us. And that's why we connected a lot because um, we're, he is so compassionate and so giving and so grateful for everything. And so um, really a lot of the things that we do, even when we talk about very technical things, it's coming from a lens of understanding, of um, of wanting to, to give back, of wanting to um, to show compassion to the world through our you know activities and um, so that's yeah um, what really also drew me to him to be honest to have a man who uh, embodies those values and uh, who understands that and not just women I wanted to dive in a little bit initially this conversation was going to be the power of trust and trust capital and and I think it's actually really we had a great opportunity to get gather this powerhouse group of women but the trust does come into play right mm -hmm. because the reason why we are empathetic and the reason why we are vulnerable is because we trust mm -hmm. those around us how can we and right now we're in a trust crisis yeah. right? and to me trust is the underpinning of everything every single system that we have mm -hmm. you can have facts god protocols guidelines blah, blah, blah. um science and uh, if you do not have trust as that secret, most powerful form of capital, everything's rendered useless. It the system doesn't work. We also all agree we're having to start looking at technology as a, as a tool that can really help us make some of these exponential jumps that we need to do. And yet, ah, we're a little nervous about that. Mm -hmm. Do I trust that? How do we get over that trust hump and how do we start you know one trusting ourselves trusting each other and then helping others trust this technology because we're going to be the ones who are building the tech so in the end it all comes back to us so i think um starting with and i work with defense that's well. why i'm staring <laughs> right at you sister <laughs> exactly so uh, i think there is a component of safety mm which trust is related to. Mm. How do you create safety? How do you communicate safety? Mm. And how do you create protocol that allow for ability to pivot, right? Because all of us are not constantly making right decisions. Having the ability to learn and rapidly pivot and create that safety so that it calls out when something is not working right. is equally important. So I know this is very abstract, 
but you can actually take this into a logical way even when we look at distributed ledger i like to call it distributed ledger and that's how i'm dating myself with blockchain okay, right it. i'm not talking crypto i'm talking about blockchain and right. how you could have distributed contracting that can be done through that or me as an individual suddenly takes ownership of my own identity right. and what i'm willing to share with somebody i might want to get married to versus somebody who's giving me a credit and i control that right so you are also asking folks to take ownership of that and then who is actually or involved in the conversation of creating that safety and protocol how do we do this in a collective manner especially as corporations and private companies right. are getting involved in space mm. right Goodness. so yes. there there's a lot of, and that's where when when i started taking a look at it i'm like oh my god we're not just exploiting our planet but we're exploiting space we have to come in and then have a conversation around this so i think which is going to lead us to our friend Elon Musk where i'm going to get you because i was actually oddly invited to NASA to sit down and i was someone invited me and so there i was like what are we going to be talking about oh you'll see so i sit down and they're saying all right let's talk about how we would create community on Mars <laughs> and how would we set out ahead of time so that we know that we don't we have a more equitable setup right and i thought oh Okay, sure. I'll, I'm game. But Susie, given your book, oh. right, and your our friend Elon, what do you? How? What do you say? How do you sort of navigate that? I mean, on the trust question, you know, yeah. I, uh, what I would say is you have to earn trust. So it's actually not street. about trust. It's also about what you're doing. And to earn trust, you also have to be prepared to take criticism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, my job is quite different. I've spent the last 25 years pointing out the problems. You know, pointing out the problems <laughs> to the bad, government, bad, pointing bad. out the problems to counterterrorism officials, <laughs> pointing out the problems in technology. That's kind of my job, so sorry. But, uh, <laughs> but I think that that is important, that you do need to be able to think about the difficult questions, accept mm -hmm. when things are wrong. And what you also need, which is terribly boring but you actually need law mm -hmm. and regulation to control the excesses the excesses of governments and the excesses of of business so you need a framework and that's one of the things that you know in my view international human rights law gives us that framework and if you mm. use that as the prism for thinking about what you're doing and do that seriously that is a way of of legitimately earning trust uh, and sort of building from there Right, walking the talk and embodying it. Julia, how about you? Um, yeah, I, I want to touch on um, what Fatima was, was talking about with um, safety, because um, I, uh, I'm i not sure if you know that book. I think it's called The Culture Code. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And he talks about, I forgot the author's name, but he talks about psychological um, safety in a company that ultimately creates trust. Um, and I, I deeply believe in that. And I think it's also a value that we have in, in our company and how we deal with people is to um, have that, um, create that space for people to you know uh that gives them the permission to to be themselves and to voice their opinions and to also criticize like you said like um you need to be able to accept criticism and constructive feedback in order mm -hmm. to um to have uh trust in that i think transcends beyond just building a team it transcends to how we also work as a, a community or as yeah. a society um and um yeah and so it's it's definitely something i've i've learned over time because i think as an entrepreneur on the one hand you're like maybe you're sometimes trying to control outcomes and try to build mm -hmm. things according mm -hmm. to plan but on the other hand you also need to give people the freedom to um to just Indeed. again uh, allow to be themselves and sometimes um disagree with things and again feel feel safe while doing that 
And I think one of the things that COVID did was we suddenly brought our 100% self. Exactly. Right? I mean, <laughs> I'm having investor calls and I have my cat crossing the screen. There's so nothing true. I can do, otherwise he will scream his head off. Yeah, I right? understand, um, I have one too. <laughs> Yeah. So it's it's just how do we, and I've been a firm believer, we bring our, the way we do one thing, we do everything. And that whole demarcation of personal and professional, we get to bring our 100% self and be sa have the safety of bringing our 100% self. And that's when really a lot of enterprising thought can be created because you feel safe mm -hmm. and that somebody ha has your back. And I think a lot of that has to do with a sense of transparency, right? Mm -hmm. um, especially thinking about the investor world. Being transparent about what you're doing um, and what your mission is, whether it's for profit or for purpose, um, is something incredibly important. But what, Fadma, you just brought up and what I'm curious about is, you know, what we're all hungry for right now is belonging, right? We all yep. want to be a part of something. And you're each in a unique situation to encourage that or to give shape to. Um, can you give an, an example of how you've done that, how you've invited people in? You know, we're all talking about, oh, bring your whole self or let your employees have that opportunity, uh, let them show up. Is there a, a, an example of how that's worked effectively within your organizations? So I'll, I'll, I'll take that. I'll start Please. with that. Um, uh, we started, my business partner, when we started, we're like, all right, we're building perpetual flying assets mm -hmm. that can be used for good or bad, mm -hmm. right? So we're like, what do we do that will almost become a guiding principle? So we obviously shot for the moon and we said, we're all about saving lives. Um, bridging that aerial intelligence and telecommunication that we can create and bringing that back to decision makers so that lives can be saved starting with the warfighters, starting with civilians, wildlife anti-poaching, search and rescue, disaster management. We didn't fully know what exactly how that would transpire, but we knew that we had to go after big, hairy, audacious goals, and mm -hmm. we could align behind that. It, saying yes is important, but saying no is equally important, right? And so that guiding principle and purpose allows us to say no, and that builds trust within folks who want to come and align with that purpose. So that, I mean, that's an example. I know it's a little more abstract, but that was, no, that's the guiding principle. It's fantastic. And I, I so firmly believe in the power of no. And I think we're taught, you know, to follow our bliss and look for that big yes. Um, and we're not taught that we also have an equal opportunity, if not in a more important one, to say no, right? We have two guardrails. And that's what takes us to our North Star, 100%. Susie, do you have an example of, of building community? Yeah, I mean, one of the, the sort of, social enterprises that I created, but it was a non-profit consultancy about mm -hmm. human rights in small islands. And that came out of my, my background in the Isle of Man and then a career in public international law. But when I, I went back to the Isle of Man in an oversight position, doing oversight on interception of communications, so I was the person that was checking that when the police are tapping phones, that they're doing it within, within the law. And when I went there, I just realized how completely radically different the the situation is in an island of 90,000 people to in <laughs> somewhere like the UK and how much they actually need to be able to have a safe space to have a talk about how they're doing things and what they're supposed to be doing because the people that I was dealing with who are in charge of phone tapping are also in charge of Brexit and fisheries mm. so you know of course they don't know what the details are and so out of that I created this network 
of uh, public international lawyers who are all from small islands. Wow. So that we understand what it means that when you're talking about governance, but you live next door to the chief of police and, you know, you're related to the attorney general and, you know, how you manage that to kind of combat corruption, uh, make sure you've got governance, coming from that real understanding both of, you know, of what it means to be a small islander and what it means to, to operate in the global community. So... That for me was was a real journey of sort of bringing my big world experience back to my small world home okay. experience. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Um, yeah, I can talk about how we built our community, the Sigma Squared Society, and we had a lot of learning. So we made quite a few mistakes as well. And ultimately, we realized that everything is about transparent communication mm-hmm. to build trust. Um, we had a couple of incidences where we did not communicate enough. And so we made decisions. And bearing in mind, we have hundreds of members, right? And so we were like, well, we just got to move fast. We have to make this specific decision. And then we, um, there were a couple of people who were very unhappy with it. And we started making um, a big deal out of it. And at first, we were quite upset about it. But then we were like, well, we just have to be all very, very, very transparent about the decisions that we're making. And so um, that kind of became one of our core values. Like we have a couple of different values like um, humility, ambition, creativity, different things. But then one of the core principles is to communicate transparently and sometimes to go the extra mile and to call everyone together. It's like, hey, we're organizing this big call and we're going to transparently document every single step that we're taking um, so that people know what the leadership, why the leadership is making certain decisions, even in an, in a nonprofit organizations with w- organization with hundreds of members all around the world, um, which, yeah, we had to learn based on something a mistake that we made but it um, ultimately saved us a lot of um, pain in the, in the future I'd say so we need to wrap up because I know Susie has to leave to go catch a flight so what I would love to do is um, ask each of you just to complete the sentence the future is I completed it yesterday You're gonna <laughs> get it again. yes you did so what's today's completion um I still feel uh, connected communities. Everything we've spoken about, um, I mean, safety, I'm able to go and conquer because I know there's somebody who's got my back. And how do we come together as communities? So connected communities. Susie. I'd say the future is human. And it's about putting the human at the heart of what we're doing going forward. I think the future is malleable. Um, mm-hmm. I Great believe word. we can still change it based on our actions today. Listen, thank you all so, so much, and I appreciate it. And thanks for joining in. This is Kate Byrne. Thanks for downloading Catapult Future Fest Conversations, available wherever you get your podcasts. Look out for our next conversation, Systems Thinking, with Mina Salami, brought to us by our dear partner and supporter, BMW Foundation Herbert Quant. If you like what you hear in the series, join us in person at our upcoming Future Fest event in Oslo, Norway, May 31st through June 2nd, 2023.